Is not God good today? Amen. How many did you hear the word of the Lord from John? Really felt that was a word that we need to be listening to. You know, the Bible says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Amen. The hardening of the heart simply means that I just kind of take it casually or I just take it very loosely or I don't take it with a sense of conviction. You know, the word of the Lord was to prepare. Everyone say prepare. And that God, God wants to bring us to greater levels. Amen. You know, today I'm, I'm still on this series on becoming a living, breathing, walking revival. I want everybody to take your hands, both of your hands. Now look at them. Now I want you to say this with me. There is power in my hands. The Bible says they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall. There's power in my hands. Now look at your feet. Amen. There's power where I walk. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Do you know God's guiding and directing your steps? In fact, the Bible says, blessed are the feet of those who bring good tidings, good news. Now, everyone, uh, I can't tell you to look at your mouth because I know that's impossible. But I want you to say this with me. I have powerful words that can bring liberty, life, and healing to the broken. I am a walking revival. I want us to begin to, I want to share something with you out of the Old Testament this morning. In fact, I felt like the Lord impressed upon me about this concept of revival. You know, many people, when we talk about revival, many of us, we look at revival historically. When we, the, first of all, the root of the word comes from the word revive, which means to bring the dead back to life. But many times people call a revival usually a series of meetings within a time frame in a certain place that is taking place where there are physical manifestations of the power of God. And people see, touch, feel, hear, and when they see, feel, touch, and hear or know, they call it a revival. And that is, but it's only part of a revival. A lot of us think that revival is an Acts chapter 2 experience, which was a revival. But I want to tell you right now that all of you right now are in a revival. Now you may say, well, Pastor Ray, I don't feel, see, touch, or hear anything. If you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're a walking revival. See, revival is not waiting for something to happen from God. Because God's already made it happen if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you read the prayer of John 17, Jesus' prayer was this. Father, fill them with the glory that you gave to me. That the earth may know that you sent me. You see, you you aren't waiting for revival. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is not here or there. It's inside of you. 
In fact, do you know that some of the deepest trials that you walk through, some of the most difficult times you are walking through are a revival? You may think, well, well, Pastor Ray, I don't see anything. I don't feel anything. I don't sense anything. No, you're in a... Just this past week, my wife and I, we, we went to a restaurant. It's one of our favorite restaurants. It's, it's a wing place. Once a, week, once a week, I go out and I splurge on, on wings. I shouldn't be saying this. It may cause some stumbling here. But there's a, there's a gentleman, he's a general manager, and he comes up to us, and all, he, he talks to us all the time. And Carol and I, kind of like John was saying today, you know, we, were, we had been exhausted because we'd been working around the church, painting, spraying, mowing, just tons of things around the church, visiting, seeing, counseling, studying, everything. Just, we had a ton of things, so we decided that night to go out to this wing place over here. And this one gentleman who comes up to us, and the Lord gave me a word of knowledge. And I, I literally told the Lord, I said, Lord, I just don't feel like giving a word right now. I, I mean, I literally said that to God. For, forgive me for my unbelief and tiredness. But I said, Lord, and, and I just started speaking to this guy. And I said, there, there's an issue inside of your body you've had from your youth and I said, the Lord wants to touch you. And he looks at me in complete shock. And he says, I suffer from epilepsy. In fact, he said, this week I'm going in to have the doctors check my brain out for this, these epileptic grandma seizures that I get. He's under sedated with a lot of medication. I said, right now, you're going to be healed. And so, I mean... Servers were coming, waiters were waiting on tables. We didn't go into a private room. I laid my hands right on them. I said, I speak to the spirit of infirmity in Jesus' name to come out and go back to the pit. My wife was right there. And I said, how do you feel? She says, I don't feel a thing. I said, well, guess what? You're healed. I said, if you have come with an expectation to receive and you believe and not doubt in your heart, you shall have whatever you ask. He says, well, let's try this again. This time I'm going to believe. Because he was shocked by the fact that I would pray for him. You see, revival isn't waiting for a meeting to happen. You're a walking revival. And I'm going to show you a chapter or a book in the Bible that is a mind-blowing ch- a book that literally kind of breaks all the rules and the stereotypes and just doesn't seem. In fact, this particular individual brought a revival to a city, and, and I'm going to say something here that's going to maybe shock some of you. This individual because of his obedience to God, brought a revival that actually brought the entire city not to just experience the miraculous, but brought the city to repentance. Do you know that the goal of revival was not to see signs and wonders? Signs and wonders was to bring the unbeliever to a place where they can actually hear the message of the kingdom yes. 
so they would repent. Do you remember in Matthew 13 when Jesus, the Bible says he went through Sidon, Tyre, and Capernaum. And there were many signs and wonders that Jesus did. But then it says he went back through those cities again. And then he came with a different message the second time. It says he began to rebuke the cities because they did not repent when the power of God was manifest. Jesus never did bring any entire city to repentance. He brought power. He brought life. But they didn't change their mind. They were moved by the miracles. How many of you would like to see miracles? Miracles and power should be an automatic. It's a given. But to bring people to repentance is the goal of revival. The goal of revival is not a feel-good. Forgive me. The goal of revival is not just signs, wonders, power, and miracle. That is used by the Lord to bring people. It's God's goodness that leads us to repentance. The purpose of the power was to show us the Father and how good and loving He is to an unbeliever, to sinners, to those who are afar off. He was to bring the glory. But the goal of revival, the goal of, the goal of power was to bring people to an absolute place of repentance. Hey, are you hearing me this morning? You know, years, years ago, uh, my grandfather, he, uh, my, my, my grandfather had uh, uh, fruit, fruit orchards. And my, grand, my, my brother and I, when we were, I was in six, seven, eight, five, six, seven, eight, nine years of age, three or four years in a row, my parents let my brother and I go to the farm and we would, we would be with my grandparents for three months. Actually, my, my mom and dad were both working at the time and it was a great time for us to get out of the city, go to the farm and be with our grandparents for three months and we spent three months there. Well, one of those years, my granddad had cleared, we had, he had 400 acres of forest and he cleared a bunch of acreage and he decided to plant uh, fruit trees. And he bought, the, he bought over 1,000, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, somewhere in there, fruit trees. And they were about three to four feet tall. And he had a crew of men that was planting these trees in rows and getting these orchards. And I, we would get up with Grandpa every morning at five to go out and help him plant trees. Now, we really didn't do a whole lot of good being six, seven, but just being with Grandpa and being on the tractor was a revival for us. I mean, that was a revival being on the tractor, riding on the tractor. And I remember asking my grandpa this because he, they were sweating and working out there in Hood River in the heat. I said, Grandpa, are we going to get some apples and cherries and fruit maybe next week? And he turned to me he said, he starts laughing, right? No, Ray, we're, we're not going to get fruit next week. Well, aren't, I, aren't we going to see any fruit before we go home, uh, when we leave home for, for, for the sum, from the summer? He says, no. How about next year? No. The year after that? No. 
that my granddad says, when you plant trees this high, it takes between five to seven years for them to bear fruit. And I remember going up, I thought, for me, that was a half a lifetime. Because I was six, seven, and grandpa says five to seven years for a fruit tree to become mature enough to bear fruit. So every day, my granddad would get up and we would go out with grandpa after he planted the trees and we would help change the sprinklers from row to row, morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening, every day. He had to morning and evening. We had to change those sprinklers to water the entire field so those trees would grow. It was hard work. It was a lot of waiting. A lot of endurance. Grandpa got up for six years. Finally, at the end of the sixth, seventh year, he began to get a harvest. He had to go out and water that. You see, revival, sometimes revival is a season where we're sowing and we're watering and we're working and we don't see the kind of results we want to see right away. And so what we do is we get in a rush. We just stop watering. We get tired, we give up, and the trees die. Revival, by the way, revival involves the dry seasons as well as the fruitful seasons. You see, let me tell you when revival starts. Revival starts when the seed falls to the ground and dies. Everyone say die. You see, and that's when revival starts. It's not when you see the fruit. Everybody today, I've, I've had, I can't tell you how many people come. I'm looking for a church that has revival. What they're really looking for is they're looking for something that appeals to their five senses. But they're not looking for a place where God can transform me. How many of you know that that's the goal of the Holy Spirit? It's transformation. You know, I got to tell you something. Uh, three years ago, we got this, my wife, my wife and I, last September, we decided after three years to go out and buy a treadmill. How many of you know what a treadmill is? It's, 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 it's a Nortrack. It's a thousand, we got this thousand dollar machine and Carol found it for $300 because of this young guy who was an airplane mechanic for American Airlines, had to move back to Atlanta, Georgia. And I went into his apartment, and this guy, you know, he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, has all of these machines throughout his apartment. Well, we bought his Nortrack treadmill. And you know what I did? I'll never forget getting that Nortrack treadmill. On, in my house, in our back room, in my, my den, I went back there, and I was so glad that we got that treadmill. And I remember getting on it the very first time. I could not even walk an eighth of a mile without feeling like I was going to have a heart attack. And so you know what I did? I went back to my refrigerator, pulled out a Coca-Cola, sat down, so proud of myself that I got on that treadmill. Praise God. Whoa. Man, started my workout. Guess what? Never went back on it. I'd go back in that room. I got to the point where I got convicted about going back to that room because I'd see that crazy treadmill sitting there. And, well, there's the, I, honey, we, we got the treadmill. Praise God we got the treadmill. 
I go back and have more milkshakes and candy bars and shortcakes and, you know, eating and drinking all my, all my regular fattening foods. And man, I'm so glad I got my treadmill in my house. Whoa, it's good to have that treadmill back there. And I'd come back out and, I'd, and Carol would say, Ray, can you go back there and get the broom? I'd go back there and get the broom and see that Nortrack sitting there. That's, uh, yeah, that's still there. I'm, I'm glad I got that. I'm so glad. It's, it's kind of like people that, I'm so glad I got my Bible in my house. I'm glad, you know, I'm so glad I got a family Bible. All the signatures of my aunts and uncles and moms and dads are signed in my Bible. Do I read it? No, I don't read it. But I mean, I'm so glad I got a family Bible. Praise God for my family Bible. Got my family Bible. Or I go to Open Heavens Church. Love the worship. Oh, praise God. Oh, I love to be involved. I love to serve. I love the pride. Just, just want to soak in God's presence. I love it. Oh, I love the way it looks. Oh, I'm so glad they painted the building finally. Thank God. That horrible brand. New roof. Thank God. Oh, I'm glad I go to church. Praise God. So glad that I feel the glory. But the question is, are you transformed? You know, there, there came a day. How many of you know, you all know John 1. John 1 says that Jesus was the word made flesh. And we all beheld the glory of the Father full of what? Grace. And truth. Grace is what sets you free. Truth is what keeps you free. You can't have one without the other. You got to have both together. I had a lot of grace. I had an encouraging wife, encouraging friend. My son encouraged me. He said, Dad, you can do it. Praise God. I have people who believe in me. Praise God. But you know what? I'd still go back to that room in the back of my house and I'd see that Nortrack sitting there. And all that thing in my brain connected me to was pain. Every time I looked at that Nortrack, I'd just see pain. Everyone say pain. And all I'd see is just, I, I, my, my brain just kind of, I looked at it and I was encouraged and so glad that I got it. But then I'd go right back to my, my little ice box, filled and jammed with Coca-Cola and Diet Sprite and all my candy bars and refrigerator filled with pecan pie and, and, and man, a lot of grace there. A lot of grace. T oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. <laughs> Praise God. Oh, taste and see. Thank you, Lord. I'm so glad I got my Nortrack treadmill in my house. At least it's in my house. Am I on it? No, I'm not on it, but I thank God I got it. That's the first step. I mean, I, I want to tell you something. I was deceived. I was deceived in thinking that because I got my Nortrack in my house and I wear my little cross and I can talk like a Christian, look like a Christian, carry my Bible, 
It means nothing. I go to my, every January, I go to Dr. Olson over here off of 190. He's, he's Carol's and our family doctor. And I went in, and as I usually do every other year, I go in for a full physical. And this time I had to go in for blood work. Dr. Olson calls me up and he says, Ray, I need to talk to you. Now the truth. First, a lot of grace. Now truth comes. He says, I need to talk to you about your blood work. I, and I, I could hear a little serious tone in his voice. What's, what's going on? He says, he says, where you're at right now, you won't make it to 70 years of age. He said, unless you change your lifestyle and you get your lifestyle in order, your blood is so bad, your cholesterol is so high, your blood, your IDL, your LDLs, and all those other Ls that are in the... He says, if, if you don't begin to make some adjustments, and you know what? I was having a problem sleeping, having issues with my health and other areas, taking some blood medications already, because for three years he'd been talking. He'd been really speaking and giving me a lot of grace, by the way. My doctor is a nice doctor. But now he kind of raised the level of concern and warning. He says, if you don't take this serious, and I, 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 you know what I wanted to do? This is what I said. Carol, I think it's time to change doctors. I don't like this doctor anymore. Because it's cutting into my lifestyle. Anybody ever been, been there before? It's time to change churches. Time to change husbands or wives. It's, it's time to move on. This, you know, I, well, the grace message was great, but now they're talking truth and giving me warnings and telling me that if I don't shape up, ship up, shape, things are not going to go well down the future. And so I came home that day and I'm thinking in my brain, I have deceived myself. By blaming the doctor and not really looking at the facts. I really did. And then I tried to do something else. I tried to do these dietary supplements where you don't have to exercise, you don't have to eat right, you can just take all these other dietary things. Guess what? That's a lie. Part of my problem was that I had conditioned myself based upon my taste. Everyone say taste. Do you know that your mind tastes things too? Your mind is a taster. And you know what? You look for a church that tastes the way you like it instead of the way it needs to be. I'm looking for a church that says what I want, believes what I want, thinks what I want, doesn't make any ways, doesn't shock me. Any. You are not heading for revival. You're heading for death. If you can't be in a place where you are being stretched and experiencing, God help us here on this one, a little pain, you're dying. Because, see, revival 
is not about just the Father opening the heavens. Guess what? How many of you know the story in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus, after he was baptized, powerful word from heaven, John the Baptist seeing the dove descending, this is my beloved son, the heavens were open on Jesus. After he was filled with the Spirit, says he was led where? Into the wilderness to be tested. Now Jesus was not known. He was still the son of a carpenter. He was being tested. Do you know that Jesus was in a revival? Revival didn't start after he comes out. Now the Bible says he was filled with the Spirit before he went into the wilderness, but he came out in the power of the Spirit, and then it says, and he became famous. His fame went around all the regions. The sad thing about a lot of people today is they think that that's revival because you're famous. Or because you're known. Or because the power is there. That doesn't necessarily mean there's revival. Because Jesus in Matthew 7 made a horrific statement one day. He said, many in that day when they come before the judgment seat are going to say, Lord, we prophesied. We prayed for the sick. We cast out demons in your name. And what did Jesus say? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I don't know you. What Jesus is doing there is describing what we call today is a revival. But it's a revival without transformation. And here's the reason. Because the gifts and the callings of God are given without repentance. You can preach and operate in the gifts and still have sin in your life and still go to hell. Well, pastor, I don't receive that. I I didn't write it. I didn't write it. You know, Jesus just fed the 5,000. How many of you would have liked to have seen that one? Seen the 5,000 fed. I mean, a few fishes, a few loaves multiplied in the hands of the disciples. The disciples are blown away. Twelve baskets picked up. Wow, we've got a food basket. This is glory. This is revival. And Jesus begins to go to the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible says in Mark that he turns and said, you guys are only following me because your bellies are full. In other words, you're following me for the wrong reasons. You're following me because you want to make me a political and an economic king in your life, but you're not really understanding the message. By the way, I do believe I'm not in any way putting down the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I believe signs, wonders, miracles should be part of what God is saying. We, we should be operating that all the time. The word of knowledge, no matter how we feel. But I want to take you very quickly back into the book of Jonah. How many of you know that's where I was going? Jonah, now for the sake of time, I'm going to just tell you six times throughout this book, God speaks to Jonah. Or not to Jonah only, but he speaks. God speaks specifically six times. The first time is when God tells Jonah that he is to go to Nineveh. And he's to cry out 
against the city because of the wickedness of the city. And the Bible says that Jonah fleed. Everyone say flee. He went the other direction. It says that he fled from the presence of the Lord. He ran. He was on the run. Clear disobedience, clear rebellion. What is so ironic is this is a prophet of God. Who the Bible says in Jonah, he's a God-fearing man, but he disobeys and he runs away from the word of the Lord. By the way, do you know what running, you you don't have to be on a run from God by just obvious disobedience. Running from God can come in many different forms. Running from God can just be pride. Running from God can just simply be I, I'm careless or I'm indifferent about what God says. I don't need to take heed to it. That's running from God. Running from God means that I don't need the church. I don't need the word. I don't, I don't need accountability. Here's, here's running from God. I'll fix my life my way. I'll fix myself. That's running from God. Running from God is when you try to do things your own way in your own strength. That's running from God. The Bible says that Jonah ran. And it's amazing. In the first chapter of Jonah, it says, and he went down to the ships of Tarsus. And he went down to the bottom of the boat. Then he went down into the waters of the deep and was swallowed by a great fish. Guess what? When you flee and you run from God, it always takes you down. It takes you down. It weighs you down. It always takes you away from the presence of the Lord. The interesting thing here, we not only have God speaking to this prophet who is fleeing and he's running from the Lord. It's not out of rebellion, by the way. It was rebellion, but it wasn't because Jonah was just a rebellious man. If you read the history, especially in the minor prophets, and you study the passages, you'll find that Nineveh was the capital of Syria. Syria was one of the most pathetic bullish countries that was inhumane. They were pagan, but they were very vicious, violent people that God allowed them to hang around when Israel would rebel or come into mixture or fall into idolatry. God would use the Syrians to chasten Israel. How many of you know for whom the Lord loves, he chastens? Well, he hung them, he allowed them to be around. And so in the mind of this prophet, he knew by going and preaching to this city, he was an angry prophet. He was angry at the fact, he was angry at God. He was angry at Nineveh because of the way the Israelites, the Hebrew people had been treated. They saw, he saw, The destruction, the brutality, the raping of women. This is what Syrians did in the Old Testament. They didn't take hostages. They tortured you. They killed you. They raped their kids. They 
the Bible even says one thing, uh, another, uh, actually a hundred years later, they split the women, uh, uh, the, the, the bellies of pregnant women open so their babies would be killed and they would kill the women. These people were thugs, bad people. And so when, when, when Jonah gets the word to, to go preach to the city, to cry out about the wickedness, Jonah gets angry and he runs. Now, what is so surprising is that God used him. How many of you would like to have a Jonah for your pastor? But no takers out there, huh? Well, that's who Jonah was. But you know what Jonah was really running from? It wasn't just running from the anger and because of the way his people were treated. He was running from the mercy of God. Because in chapter 4, when Jonah finally goes to the city and he cries out, do you, know, do you know that this is, you want to see the shortest message in the Bible? It's found in chapter 3. This is the message of Jonah. Jump with me. This is in chapter 3, verse 4. The shortest message in the Bible. This is all he said right here at the end of chapter or not the end, at chapter 3, at the end of verse 4, he says this, And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk, and he cried out and said, Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. End of prayer. Shortest message in the whole Bible. End of 40 days, you're going down. You are going to be nuked. I'm out of here. How many of you want to come to that altar call? That was, the, that was the message. 40 days, you're overthrown. That was it. And he left. Isn't that amazing? Forty days, you're overthrown. But guess what? That's all it took. Because the king of Nineveh stripped his robes, put on sackcloth, sat in ashes, began to throw ashes. What they used to do in mourning and repentance is they would rub ashes because ashes was a symbol of humility and it was a symbol of coming to an end. It so shook the king up that he called for prayer and fasting throughout all of the city. 120,000 people begin to fast and pray. And this king had the audacity to even make their pets and cattle fast. Even your cows are going to fast. Because God means business. Are you with me this morning? All of a sudden, they repent. There's no miracles. There were no signs and wonders. Nobody got healed. They just said yes to God. The king feared the Lord. And the Bible says that God repented of what he was going, he changed his mind about what he would do to Nineveh. Guess what that did? 
Two times, not once, two, two times. Throughout the four chapters of Jonah, Jonah asked God to take his life. The first time was when he was running from God. He got on a ship to Tarsus, and he's leaving. He's running, and guess what happens? It says, and God caused a great wind to come up and blow, and the storms were blown. Now think about it. These guys that were running the ship, these are professional mariners. They know the sea, but they knew that, that this storm was different. This storm that we're in is a supernatural storm. There's something about this storm that we're in that we need to all start calling out on our gods to help us. This is not a normal storm that's going on. They begin to, and and then all of a sudden, one of the guys noticed, where's, where's Jonah? Well, Jonah's down at the bottom of the boat and he's sleeping. Do you know that when you're in sin and you're not aware of what's going on, you create collateral damage? And you can, your sin can cause your family, your church, your nation to go through hell while you're sleeping. But do you know that that is revival. God even uses the backsliding Jonah in the story because in this passage, they bring Jonah up and said, what are you doing? Are you the cause of this? Is it your God who's mad at us? And Jonah finally says, yes, I fear God in this storm is because of my rebellion and my disobedience and I'm running from the Lord. I hate Nineveh. I hate what they've done to my people and I'm angry with God. And so they begin to beg Jonah, Jonah, cry out to your God to stop this. Jonah, this is Jonah's solution. Kill me. Just throw me over the ship. I'd rather have you kill me than for me to call on God. What a testimony. I don't know about you, but I'd give up on Jonah. But guess what? God didn't give up on Jonah. Everyone say, God did not give up on Jonah, and he will not give up on me. He didn't give up on Jonah, even though there was collateral damage. Finally, Jonah said, listen, guys, if you want the storm to stop, throw me overboard. I want to die anyway. Isn't it amazing? God loves you so much, he won't let you die. Because they threw him overboard, and they, it says in the end of chapter 2, or chapter 1, it says that the men begin to fear God make sacrifice, and to begin to commit, make vows to the Lord. They got saved. These mariners get saved because of a guy's backslide, this prophet, this rebellious prophet that is running from the word of the Lord. Out of that, these guys get saved. 
you read it at the end of chapter uh, one. They begin to fear God, make vows, and make sacrifices to the, to, to the true God. They change their gods. Isn't it amazing that sometimes God brings revival in ways that we would never think? We thought it had to be with the church organ playing and the music playing and Bethel music playing and, you know, power and flying miracles and heavens and feathers and gold dust. No, sometimes God uses the storms with rebellious prophets to bring about the transformation to people that we would never think God would ever work through. In this book is the only book where we ever have noted where an entire city repents. Not even in the days of Jesus. Jesus brought a lot of people to a, that, that became followers. But when Jesus finally went to the cross, they all forsook him. But in this book, we find this book is about God's grace, his mercy, and his truth. In this passage, as you go on down, it says, I love in chapter 2, notice what it says in chapter 2. Then Jonah, what? Say it all up. Then Jonah. Isn't that sad? He had to go through all that hell. Then, I guess... Honey, I think we ought to start praying together. How sad. We have to go through the storm, through hell. We have to go through all the darkness. I I think maybe tonight, Monday night, we ought to start attending prayer. I, I know we've got football, and we got soccer, and we got this, and we got that, but I, I think we need prayer. You think so? Yeah, I think so. The storms are raging. Things are out of control. And then it says, then Jonah prayed. Yeah, but I'm not seeing anything in our prayer meetings. I'm not seeing the dead risen. It's a boring prayer meeting. You don't know revival. Before you can ever give birth to something, you have to go through labor. There's a laboring, there's a waiting. Ask any pregnant woman that when a baby is conceived in the womb, she doesn't have the baby the next day. There's some time. There's a process. And God walks us through the process. Let me tell you my process. Guess what? God got the victory and I finally got on the Nortrack treadmill. But let me have, tell you how I got on the Nortrack treadmill. I had to have a vision. Everyone say vision. If you don't have a vision and all you see is the pain, you'll quit. If you don't have a vision for your life and you don't see the power and the life that's in see, everyone say seed form. Everything God starts is in seed form. Oh, we love to read the books about Smith Wigglesworth and uh, John G. Lake, and, but we don't know the preparation that brought them to the point 
of where the power begins to come. But see, revival doesn't start when all the crowds and the fame and the glory's there. The feathers are falling, the gold dust is flying. That's not what God's after. True revival starts when you are alone by yourself and the gates of hell are coming against your mind, your life, your body. You may think things are falling apart. You're in the storm. Know what God's doing. He's getting you ready to go into the fish. Jonah tried to kill himself and I thought I was going to die in the treadmill. You know what I did? I didn't even tell my wife this. I got a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger. One day, I put it on the front. Not that I want to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I had to have a vision. While I'm, I went from an eighth of a mile to a half a mile in one week. The next week, three quarters of a mile. By that time, we threw all the coke out, all the pastries out all the donuts out, and I'm getting weaker. I'm making myself believe I like carrots, and I like asparagus, and I'm walking the treadmills, and I'm going from zero to one to five degrees to eight. Finally now, I'm at 10 degrees with 10 laps every day except Sunday. But it started with a vision And every day I wake up with facing pain. Everyone say pain. Pain. There is no gain without pain. There are no shortcuts. There is no way out. There's no dietary supplements. You can't come down to the altar and have a preacher lay hands on you and think it's going to go away. You've got to learn how to walk out your glory and obedience. You've got to walk it out. It's not just coming down to get prayed for. God wants, victory is not just something you have in an instant. Victory, you can't have victory without a battle. You can't have a breakthrough until you have opposition. You can't know strength until you embrace weakness. You cannot understand, appreciate light until you understand the thickness of the darkness. Revival isn't just being in the light and on the mountain. It's also learning how to, like Paul, uh, John said this morning, learning not to be anxious, but by prayer and by supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known. Learning to praise God even though my five senses, my feelings are not there. Every morning, 4.30 to 5, I'm up walking two and a half miles. It's called a power walk. Then I do these ab exercises. Then I start on this dietary thing. And I'm going to tell you, it still hurts. You know, I, I love what Bill Johnson said one time. He says, I know there's been a lot of people that envy what God's doing here at Bethel. But he says, let me tell you the other side of it. People come to Bethel and they see the glory and the power and the He says, do you know that we are in constant lawsuits? People are suing us all the time. Danny Silk said this. If you get on the internet and you look up Bethel, there's more conspiracy 
crap out there against them. Do you know that when God begins to raise your level of exposure, Satan begins to assault and attack you to the hemp degree. Do you know why God doesn't bring his glory to every church? Because the churches can't handle the persecution. When Jesus started his ministry in his own hometown, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to throw him over the cliff because Jesus didn't come the way they thought the Messiah should come. He came as a carpenter's son. We, we, don't, ex- we don't expect, we don't accept the way your, your message is. We don't accept that. We want a Messiah to come down and save us out of all of our problems and deliver and heal us and restore us and make us the king and everybody bow down to us Jews. And Jesus said, no, no, that's not the message I'm bringing. I'm bringing a message of forgiveness. Love your enemies. Do good to them who despitefully use you and hate you. I'm bringing a message of the cross. If any man's going to follow me, take up his cross, let him deny himself. It's not about sugar. It's not about candy. It's not about Coke. It's not about feeling. It's not about sensation. It's not about your five cents. It's, it's learning to understand that right now you have an identity in Christ based upon the blood of Jesus and the grace of God. You are sons, you are daughters, you are kings, you are priests, you are seated with Christ right now in heavenly places. And the reason why God has seated you positionally that way, and he wants your thinking to line up with the knowledge of your position because that's when the power is released. Revival isn't just the mountaintops. Revival is also in the waiting time. It's in the preparation time. It's day after day after day after day after day. Change doesn't come quickly. It's, everyone say, consistent. How many of you, don't, don't raise your hands, but I've done this. I'm, 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 I will raise my hand twice on being the biggest blower of this. I've started things and quit. But I learned one thing. Nothing can change until you have a vision. If you don't have a vision of what you are in Christ, the champion, the winner, you're a blessed man, you're a blessed woman, in spite of the hell you're going through, you'll never go to the next level. See, God will protect you and keep you at a level so as so you will not be assaulted by the demonic powers. Because the more you begin to, I use it as a ladder or a stair step, the more you begin to climb closer into the image of Christ through obedience. See, the more you die is the more, the more you begin to live. And the more you begin to live, and as the power of God is released, it brings hell against you. And if you're not ready and you're insecure... You are insecure and you're afraid and you're worried about whatever people, what other people are thinking and you're trying to get out there to let everybody see me. You're not ready for revival. See, Jesus said, the greatest among you is the one who is your servant, washes feet. That's, that's how God defines Greatness. It's not, it's not what we do in here. 
It's not what we say. It's not, oh, praise God. I finally reached the pinnacle of success. I now got my own pulpit. That is not success. That is not it. And there's so many college grads. I've seen so many people. If I could just get my own church and my own pulpit. Oh, you are so not ready. That is not what it's about. Actually, it's amazing. The dichotomy is God chooses the very man in Jonah, the book of Jonah, that didn't want to preach. Guess what? There's a lot of you out there that God has his hand on and you said, I'll never do that. You're the one. I'll never, I'll never sing. I'll never, not me. I'll, I'll never. God's got his hand on you to do that. The ones that are craving it, God will test your motive. Because the, 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 one of the keys to real revival is brokenness. If you haven't been broken, you won't be able to handle the power. Because if it's about you, hell will kill you. That's a, that's a, see, Peter thought when he said one day, Jesus, all will deny you, but I'll never deny you. I'll go all the way. I'll die for you, Jesus. How many of you know Peter meant that? He really meant that. But Peter was trying to do it in his own strength and for his own personal ambition. Something, it was all about Peter. Peter denied the Lord. He even swore, used profanity. I don't know that man. And then Jesus stands as he's taken out of the judgment hall. Peter in Jesus' eyes locked as the cock crowed three times. He denied the Lord. Peter wept bitterly and he ran away. He went back to his fishing boats. He gave up on his call. He said, I quit. But you know what? The Lord did not quit on him. God did not quit on Peter. God did not quit on Jonah. Because it says when Jonah prayed, when Jonah began to pray, I love what it says. And he said, I cried out to the Lord, chapter 2, verse 2. And he, what? Answered me. Do you know what? You may be in the belly of hell. You cry out to God, he will answer you. Did you hear me? When you want to end it all and you pray, he wants to answer you. And he will hear you. And you notice as you go down, Jonah goes through a breaking. He goes down. I noticed down here in verse 6 that I went down to the mountains of the mountains and the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Jonah is the only known author that we know of other than Jesus who went down into hell and experienced that sense of closure where he could never get out. But even in the depths of hell, he cries out. And the Bible goes on here to say, I love this. Yet, 
You brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you, Lord, with the voice of thanksgiving. And I love this. I will pay what I have vowed. In other words, what he said was this, Lord, I surrender all. Everyone say surrender. In other words, he would not allow anything to come and put a wall between him and the Lord. Lord, I'm going to release my anger. I'm going to release my ambitions. I'm going to release my expectations. I'm going to release those things that I feel you should have done for me. I release that to you. Lord, I make a vow. I surrender all to you. And then I love what it goes. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out on dry land. Wow, what a way to come out. By way of vomit. What am I talking about? We're talking about revival. We're talking about transformation. Transformation. The glory of God doesn't always come. with the way we think it should. Revival comes in the form of being in the belly of a fish. And you may be there. Guess what? You're in a revival. Because God is not giving up on you. And God is what he has begun. He has promised to fulfill it. The good work he has promised to do, he will not end it until he fulfills that word in your life. Now, that's not the only time that Jonah prays. He gets up and as he goes into Nineveh, he prays and he speaks the word. The king repents, the city repents. They come back to God. Chapter four, verse one, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Listen to this. Here's a guy who just obtained the mercy of God and he's still mad at God. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry, verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled to Tarsus, for I know. Everyone say, he knows. I know that you're gracious. You're a merciful God, slow to anger. You're abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. Therefore, oh Lord, here again, here again, the self-pity, the self-pity Mary go round. Take my life. Kill me. Kill me, God. Kill me because you're, t- you're so good. Kill me, God, because you're so merciful to the wicked. Just kill me. Lord, just take my life. I can't believe you'd be merciful to those relentless thugs. They're brutal. They're beasts. They're animals. And you showed mercy to them. I'd kill them and send them to the deepest hell. So take my life. Kill me. By the way, guys, I'm just being real little dramatic here, but uh, it's exactly what it says. But you know what God kept doing? God was so patient with this Job guy, or Jonah, not Job, Jonah. God keeps displaying his grace and mercy to Jonah, even though he's angry. 
he doesn't give up on Jonah. Have you ever been angry at God? I have. Ever felt like quitting? I have. God says this, Now therefore, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die. Then the Lord says, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city. He's, he's waiting for God to judge the city. Sat under to see what might happen. Verse 6, And the Lord prepared a plant, made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade for his head, deliver him from his ministry. So Jonah was grateful for the plant. Isn't this amazing? Even while you're angry running from God, God still wants to give you shade. He wants to overshadow you with his love and mercy. Even though you're angry and you're still full of bitterness and still full of hate and anger towards your enemy, God still wants to overshadow you and bring you out of that stress. That's the kind of goodness that he is. He's not, his goodness is not based on human goodness. We give and we bless and we're nice to people because you're nice back. God's goodness is not based on human goodness. His goodness is based on covenant love. He loves us in spite of ourselves. Amen? Why is this this kind of a message important? Because God's going to bring some people across your path. If you're praying for revival, guess what? He's going to bring some impossible people in your path. And they're going to be people that you're saying, I cannot like that person. They make me mad. I'm miserable. God, strike them with lightning. You were praying to be used by God and praying for revival. Do you remember that? Yeah, but God, I want, I want good people. I want good sinners. Not these kind of people. Not offensive people. These people hurt. They say bad. They slander. They backbite. They, they've hurt me. God, send good people around me. Kind of support me and build me up. I'm looking for a church that likes me, accepts me for who I am, and lets me with all my raw details sit out and they still love me and accept me and, and never challenge me. Guess what that's called? Pride. It's all about you. But see, God doesn't come and break us with his anger or his chastening. He comes to break us with mercy. So he shows mercy to Jacob, Jonah. Jonah experiences the blessing of the plant and then God creates a worm. Everyone say a worm. And the worm kills the plant and then he's in the heat again. And then God uses it as an illustration. He says, you've had more compassion for a plant that died by a worm than people that I created to have a relationship. You have more compassion for a plant than, my pe- than people that need the mercy. And, and God says at the end of the chapter, he says, I showed mercy because they didn't even know their right hand from their left hand. They were so blind and in such darkness, they didn't know their right hand from their left hand. They didn't know right from wrong, good for evil, and you have more compassion for a plant. 
I don't know about you, but that would hit me pretty hard. I'd probably let about a thousand plants die right about that. Here's the point. What is revival? Revival is God meeting you right where you're at and speaking words in your life. First of all, He wants to reveal the Father and the love of the Father. I cannot show mercy till I've received it. I cannot give anything out that I don't have. If you find it difficult to see the best in people and there's no compassion, there's no love in your heart for the lost, then you're not going to be able to walk in the power or the authority because Satan has a foothold in your life. That's why Jesus said to Peter that Satan has come asking for you and he's going to sift, he's going to shake you up. And here's the reason why Jesus said that is because you are blind to see how you have opened a door for Satan to come in. Let me tell you, Satan cannot bother, he cannot shake any believer that is truly surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said about Satan? Satan has come, but he has no place in me because Jesus was completely dead to his own ambitions, dead to his own plans. He says, I live to do the will of my Father. I don't, want, I, I don't want a speck of dis... I don't want anything in my life that separates me from his presence anymore. I want to walk in freedom. I want to walk completely open with God's favor on my life. And we can have that. Do you believe that? By the way, guess what? There are thresholds of pain. Thresholds. It's kind of like a stair step. I want everybody to see something here. I'm a builder. This is called a riser. This is called a tread. This is a riser. When we're saved, it's like being on the ground floor. We're walking experiencing the joy and the goodness and the forgiveness of the mercy of God. And then all of a sudden, God allows us to walk into a wall, a problem. It's a test. It's a challenge. And all of a sudden, you can, oh, there's a wall. I don't like that wall. It's called a step. It's challenging. I've got to actually lift my leg, and I've got to believe God. And, God, it's, it, it's, and guess what? God hides himself. His presence is not around. You don't feel all goody and goosebumpy and everything. You're, you're there in this walls here and God says, I want you to take that step of faith. No. No, I, I want to be in a place where the glory is and where the glory comes out and the spouts and all that other stuff. How many, how many of you experienced it when you got, first got saved, God answered every prayer and you were bottle fed basically and he changed all your diapers and he did everything for you, you know, and he carried you. You didn't have to walk. You didn't have to talk. He bottle fed you. He fed, he fed you. He changed your poopy poopies. And he, you just never, it's, this is heaven, man. And all of a sudden, bump. Amen. It's time to take your first step. What does that mean? Well, 
And I had to start getting a little vision in my life and start exercising a little bit of discipline. I got to take that first step. It's painful. I like it down here. I'm safe here. I love the love of God. I love the mercy. The, the Lord, don't, 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 don't send pastors or leaders into my life that are challenging me to grow and I have to forgive. They're saying I need to pray and read my Bible and I have to accept people that I don't want. And all of a sudden you take that step and wow. And then he refreshes you because you're on the next flat level. You go through a season of refreshing again. Why? Then you want to park on that level. And God says, nope, there's another wall coming up. Guess what? The purpose of every season of refreshing is to prepare you for your next test. God doesn't bless you and pour out his spirit just so you can have heaven on earth. No, he is into the transformation business. The purpose of his glory is to give you the grace for the next challenge to take you to the higher level. It's not so you can just park where the blessing, where the spirit pours out. Now the next step after that, there's some more pain. And I'm kicking at the pricks. I'm kicking at it. God says, stop kicking. Take the step of faith. Okay, Lord. Okay, Lord, thank you. And it's not about working your way to heaven, by the way. It's not by works. It's about walking out your obedience and your faith and coming into what he's already called you to be, and that's sons and daughters. We're not working for a righteousness. He's already called you. He already called you holy and righteous down here. But now he's, you're walking your faith and your obedience every day. From glory to glory, He's changing me, but between the glory and the glory, there's from pain and pain. And some of us, we pray, God, take the pain away. I know what I'll do. I'll leave this church. I'll divorce that man. I'll leave those kids. I'll change that job. I'm done. I'm out. And you run. Guess what? You've got to come back and do it all over again. You can run, but you cannot hide because God has a big fish. And he's going to vomit you back on the shore. And it says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Do what I tell you to do. God, I don't want to tithe all my tenth. I want to save some and put it away and fix up my house and buy a boat. I don't want to tithe. We're not under legalism. We're under grace. Boy, you don't got it. By the way, tithing isn't about money. It's about where you are. See, I deceived myself by thinking that I could have a little more coke and do a little more disobedience and being a slacker. And I was a slacker and I was lazy and I made excuses. You know what one of my excuses was? I can't exercise. I'm a pastor. I actually said that. I can't, I'm a pastor. I'm under not enough stress as, I, as, as much as I am now. I can't exercise, I'm a pastor. The Lord said, you're making excuses. You're making excuses. Everyone say excuses. If you're gonna go to the next level, stop making excuses. 
There's no shortcuts. You have to go through the storm. You have to walk through. My time is gone. How many of you are ready to go to a new level? God wants our scope of revival to be enlarged. Revival isn't just good times. Revival is seasons of testing. If you've gone through rejection, if you've gone through isolation, you've gone through pain, you've suffered loss, guess what? You're in a revival. Jesus said it. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You may be dead. You may be distant. You may be angry with God like Jonah was. God is here to raise you up. He's here to show you his mercy. He's here to take you to a new level. But you have to make a commitment like Jonah made a vow. Lord, no more excuses. No more shortcuts. No more exaggeration. No more lies. I'm sold out. How many of you want that? Not a whole lot of hands. Maybe we all need to get saved here. Praise God. Let's stand to our feet, can we? Can I say this? That no matter what you're going through, it gets better. Everyone say it's getting better. God wins out. You win out in the end. Some of you feel like what you've walked through has been for nothing. God has the final say and writes the final chapter in your life. Not the devil, not the enemy, or not people. God has the final say and his loving kindness never changes. His mercies are new every morning. But you have to learn to accept and embrace and receive it and stop rejecting it. Stop resisting him. When you resist him, you actually grieve the Holy Spirit because he wants to heal and restore. He wants to give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He reveals the Father, he reveals heaven, he reveals his glory. But more than anything, he wants to give you a vision. This morning, if you want it, you come down here and we're gonna pray and God's gonna give you a vision for your life. If you have no vision, you don't know what your purpose, you need to come because God wants to give you a vision and a mission bigger than yourself. But you've gotta say, Lord, no more excuses. No more, no more self-pity. No more wallowing. Poor me. No more. No more poor me. Lord, I'm all in. I'm all in. Amen? How many of you want it? I want it. I'll be the first to come to the altar call. I need it. I need the Lord. No more excuses. No more lies. Norm, just total, complete surrender. Jonah, even in his rebellion, caused a city by the glory of God 
to come to total transformation. God took a rebel prophet and brought a nation, a city to its knees because he finally believed God. God can use you. I'm here. I'm at the altar for myself. I'm here because I need it. I've been walking through stuff that's over my head, beyond my own strength. I need, I need the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm here. I fought anger with God too. You can be transformed. John, would you just come up and pray? Would you just pray? I, I just... just uh, or wherever. Father, we want to say yes, we did. We love that person. And Jonah, Lord, in the end, we know, Lord, that somehow, even though he didn't want those people to be saved, somehow, Lord, you changed his heart when he saw the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. It's your good goodness, Lord, that there was a transformation in that city because of your love. 
And Jonah had that same love eventually. Well, we want to be that same way, Lord. We want to have that same love. We don't want to say, nuke them, Lord. We want to say, Lord, bless them. And so, Father, our plan today, as we go forth, and we want this, each one of us want this, we want those that we come in contact with to be blessed by us. It could be a prayer. It could be a word of encouragement. It could be something that we can do physically, Lord, if we can give something to somebody or bless them that way. That's great. But Lord, we want to bless people for we were called to be a blessing to others. And so Father, we don't want to run. We don't want to hide. We don't want to jump off the boat and say, Lord, take me. We want to say, Lord, put me in the battle. I'll go forth, Lord. I'll deliver your love in whatever way you desire, Lord. So Father, seal this word, Lord, this day that we would all walk out of this house, Lord, your house, as changed men and women and children, adults, whatever. Lord, Lord, carrying the love of the Lord wherever we go. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, God's going to do something. Everyone, every one of us today, as you go forth, you're going to start blessing people in a new level of blessing. You're going to bless people. When that guy or girl agitates or irritates you, wherever you're at, you're going to say, Lord, bless them. Bless them, Lord. And the Lord is going to say, ah, that's my child. (laughs) That's my child. He loves people. She loves people. We can't do it on our own. It's going to be God that works through us, the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. May God bless you all this day. Walk with the love of the Lord this day and every day. Amen.